Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome back, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax channel, the Parallax series. We will be covering today, continuing on our series of classical studies. And last week, we talked about the Iliad. We'll continue to talk about the Iliad. It's kind of the classical studies 101. And without a doubt, we have our Homeric scholar, Dujour, our great archaeologist, Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi, good to be back with you. And I give you a light smattering of applause once okay. again. Great. So, Gary, last week we talked about just the foundations of the Iliad. So this is our, our course for those people who are interested in learning more about the classics, and we're focused on Iliad. So last week we talked about the historical background of the Iliad, the background of the story itself, the narrative itself, a bit about Homer. And then we talked about the main heroes in the book. Today, we're going to talk about the gods and goddesses and then get right into the opening chapter. So, Gary, can you tell us who are the main goddesses and gods in the Iliad? Well, um, you know, a major element is the so-called judgment of Paris. Um, and that's where uh, three goddesses, Zeus, uh, the king of the gods, his wife and queen, Hera, uh, Athena, the god, the goddess of wisdom and defensive war, uh, and, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And uh, they have a, uh, you know, a meaning of the gods, and they try to get Zeus to, to uh, tell him which is most beautiful, and he doesn't want to go there and have three women angry at him, you know. Mm. So he sends uh, Hermes, the Romans called him Mercury, the messenger of the gods. Uh, in the Iliad, he's, he's more of an escorter than he is a messenger. But and anyhow, uh, <clears throat> he escorts the three goddesses to Mount Ida. And Mount Ida is on the uh, uh, western area of uh, Turkey, uh, about 150 miles, I think, something like that from... Uh, the city of Troy. And Mount Ida is kind of like a second uh, Mount Olympus because Zeus goes there and other gods and stuff. <clears throat> and, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So Hermes leads these three goddesses to uh, a cowboy, uh, and his name is Paris. But it turns out his real name or original name is Alexandros or Alexander the son of the king and queen of Troy. Mm -hmm. So this is all very contrived by the gods. And so uh, they, uh, they, you know, they force him to judge which is the most beautiful. So I, I wrote a poem about this, if you don't mind okay. me reciting it. Go right um, ahead, please. So, uh, and uh, it's part of my uh, uh, Iliad poem. And uh, th this segment goes like this. It all started when heavenly Hermes on golden-winged sandals, escorted three goddesses to Mount Ida, one to cause a scandal. 
on holy ida's wooded slope they met a cowherd called paris those divine ones forced the lad to judge which was a ferris paris was fearful lest with illusions he causes uh, rifts um actually i forgot the rest of that line uh, mm -hmm. but anyhow then it goes um uh Herod, queen of the gods, offered him Asia to rule, great riches and more. Athena offered her gifts to be the wisest man and ever victorious in war. But the goddess of love, laughter-loving Aphrodite, offered him the world's one woman of the greatest beauty. Enchanted Paris could not this last gift resist. Uh, all people, uh, last gift resist. And Paris gave Aphrodite a, a golden apple as her gift. And then after that, he he makes his way to Troy. And eventually, is you know reacknowledged as the son of the king and queen of Troy. And uh, but he has to find the most beautiful woman. So King Priam uh, sends him on on the ship to find her. And he sails west, going across the Aegean Sea to many places. He finally winds up in my uh in uh, sparta where uh he meets the king menelaus or menelaus uh and his beautiful wife helen who at that time was helen of sparta but uh they fall in love you know it's 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 been called the abduction of paris but uh, or helen but whether she was abducted and went willingly i tend to think she went willingly because mm -hmm. she didn't love Menelaus that much at that point. Um, and Paris takes her back to Troy to be his, you know, bride and, and a woman. And that starts the greatest war of ancient times, uh, the Trojan War, which is what the Iliad is about. So uh, just to get back to why or how Paris was chosen, it was simply, as it was described, it was just simply a matter of fate. That's all. They just happened to be... He's the cowherd that they encounter? Well, no, it, it was intentional because he was the, the lost boy, as it were, of the king and queen of uh, Troy. But I mean, did the gods, were the gods specifically looking for Paris? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's, that's okay. what Hermes did, knowing it's going to lead to this great, you know, the gods love to see humans, uh, you know, fighting, struggling, whatever, you know? So, okay, um, so an intent, he, he was born into that fate and they brought it about. Yes. Okay. Um, so let's tell us about each of these goddesses that were part of the, the, the judgment. So we have Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite. What were each of them like? What were they about? Okay, well, Hera um, was, uh, and, and by I'm going to give the Roman names too. She's called Juno in the Roman pantheon mm -hmm. the romans uh, completely adopted the uh, greek pantheon well then and of course they we know they improved upon it <laughs> right Anyhow. so okay. she she was actually uh, get this a sister of zeus but you know she married him she was his sexual consort um and she was queen of the gods therefore uh but she was the goddess also women and, and women's marriages. Mm -hmm. And uh, so each of these gods have certain attributes are always depicted with on uh, 
paintings or statues and like paintings on pottery or statues and her uh, uh, you know distinctive attributes is a crown, a scepter and her sacred animals are cows for, you know uh, and and peacocks. Okay. Any reason that cows and peacocks in particular? Uh, what's the I, I don't know. I don't know the associations like that. I, get, I mean, one of the things I would wonder in the, if there were any uh, classical scholars listening, are the, is it the cow as this inc- usually tied with women, uh, usually tied with um, something which is life-giving and food-giving, milk-giving? So could that be part of it? It, it could. Something to it, think about. It could be, and then, uh, like I said earlier, uh, Paris was a, a cowboy, and uh, you know maybe that was part of the thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, what about Athena? Athena, and the Romans called her Minerva. I certainly prefer the name Athena to Minerva. Um, she was a goddess of wisdom, and oftentimes they say warfare, but not warfare. That's another god, Ares mm-hmm. or Mars. The Romans called them. Um, now, Athena was a goddess of wisdom and defensive war. So she defended cities and so on, like Athens, you know, that uh, celebrated her with the building of her great temple, the Parthenon. Um, she's also a goddess of arts and crafts. And her distinctive uh, attributes is uh, she's usually shown wearing a, a helmet. Mm-hmm. you know, a warrior's helmet um, and uh, holding a shield and spear. And that signifies that she's a warrior goddess. Um, and uh, and on her chest is uh, like a sacred goat skin thing that Zeus gave her called the Aegis. The, we get the word Aegis from this, uh, you know, it's like a breastplate that goes on her breast. Right. And... Uh, which is supposed to be goatskin, but on the edges are the uh, heads of snakes that are depicted. You know, it's, it's, uh, and then in the middle is the face of the Medusa, you know, the, the monster that one look from her would turn into stone. Okay. And Medusa had a hair of snakes, if you remember. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, that's depicted on, on the aegis that she wears on her chest. Um, and, uh, but her sacred, uh, Living things is the owl, the wise owl, you know, because she's right. a goddess of wisdom. And that's, that's how we got the idea of uh, owls being wise. Right. Interesting. And the olive tree. And that was important because uh, before Athens was called Athens, supposedly according to Greek mythology, they, uh, they were deciding which god they're going to honor, Poseidon, the god of the sea, or Athena. And uh, Poseidon offered him uh, horses, I think, because he's also a god of horses and stuff like that. But Athena offered the olive tree, and uh, the uh, Athenians decided that was much more practical food source and shade and so on. So they uh, they went for her, which really ticked off Poseidon. <laughs> okay. So, and how did that how did that affect their relationship with Poseidon? What did he do? Uh, well, he wasn't happy with uh, what what became the Athenians for a long time, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about him because he's a very interesting god. We'll talk about him. Yeah, 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 that's another one. Okay. And then the so, third goddess okay. uh-huh. is Aphrodite. And uh, and 
the Romans called her Venus. Now, what's interesting is when uh, when our planets were named, we went with the Roman names. So mm-hmm. uh, instead of Zeus, we have the planet Jupiter. And instead of uh, uh, Aphrodite, we have the you know Venus and the planet Venus. And instead of Ares, the god of war, we have the, the planet Mars. So our, our, our planets are named after these gods. Right. So Aphrodite was the, the goddess of love, erotic love, and beauty. And her attributes were uh, a uh, dove and dolphin for some reason, dolphins. And uh, and she had a... Uh, a a uh, another more minor god that used to accompany her, her companion, if you as it were, and and he was Eros, but most people know him as Cupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cupid, of course, you know he had a bow and arrow, and the arrows would he would shoot them into people. There were magical arrows that would make people fall in love with each other. You know that kind of thing. Right. Um, so that, those are the three uh, goddesses. And those are the three that Paris has to choose among to yes. decide who's the, who's the most beautiful, right? Yes. So, so, so for the listener, obviously, he's set with a formidable task. And no matter what he does, he's, yeah, he's, go ahead. Doomed, he's doomed because, uh, you know, whoever he chooses, the other two are going to hate him. Precisely, exactly. And that's so. exactly what happens because uh, – uh, and um, you know, so we've got you got those. So in, got in my in my poem, I, I say, in my poem, I say, uh, uh, Paris gave Aphrodite a golden apple as her, as her prize, while Hera and Athena went off to plot the Trojans' demise. It is really a an incredible setup for a story, and it just shows you how great. The, oh yeah, it's, it's been depicted right. in, in, in ancient art, uh, ancient Roman art, and you know Pompeii and so on, and, uh, and down down through the Renaissance and everything. There are many many paintings and artworks based on uh, you know that uh, you know the so-called Judgment of Paris or the goddesses. So, what about the principal gods? Who are our main gods in this particular? Uh, cycle of stories in the Iliad. Who are the gods that? Well, the, the main them? one is the main one is Zeus. You know, the king of the gods. Okay, tell us about him. Well, Zeus was the king, but he's also father to many gods, goddesses. He was the father of Athena, for example. Um, and uh, and he uh, was all powerful. Now he had he had two brothers. One was. Poseidon, mm-hmm. the, god, the god of the sea, and the other uh, was Hades, the god of the underworld or the, the uh, land of the dead, you know, where a dead person would go after they died. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they, they, and three is a sacred number in my sacred symbolic number system for Homer. Um, Threes do come up, the, the triple goddess, and then of course the, the awful. Yeah, you, you know, three god. and three. You know, it right. keeps coming up. Uh, and so the three uh, sons of Kronos, their father, um, who, who they deposed, by the way, they overthrew Kronos 
and uh, banished him and the Titans to uh, an area of, of Hades called Tartarus. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so Zeus took the skies, Poseidon took the seas, and Hades took the underworld, and then all three, uh, you know, could take the on-land portion with humans. Okay. I mean, they shared it, so to speak. Sure, sure. Yeah. But Zeus is father of all. He is the he's the capo de tutti capi, the boss of all bosses. He's really the boss, and he makes, you know, you can, even Poseidon, who's very powerful, is not as powerful as Zeus. Mm-hmm. And so they, they have their differences, but Zeus always dominates. So Zeus central in this, and Poseidon as well? Uh, not so much Poseidon. Okay. Uh, he does, does, doesn't does he affect, uh, oh, maybe in the Odyssey, I'm thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go. Poseidon figures much more uh, prominently in, in the Odyssey. Right. So Zeus and who else? So uh, really that impact this. Apollo, did you bring up? Oh, yeah, there's Apollo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, he was son of Zeus. Um and he's a god of prophecy, music, poetry, and youth. And uh, his attributes, and also he was the most handsome of the gods. And so his attributes were the uh, lyre, laurel wreath. You know, that's why uh, ancients would wear laurel wreaths on their heads, you know. Right. Uh, a snake and, and, and bow and arrows. Those are his attributes. And his sister was Artemis, who also is known for the bow and arrow. Yeah. She, they're, they're like twin siblings. Yeah. We, um, we and, love Artemis here. So Yeah. So uh, Apollo, interestingly, in the Roman pantheon, was still called Apollo for some reason. Uh, the name but, worked well for him. Yeah. But um, Artemis uh, in the Roman pantheon was called Diana. Mm-hmm. And she was, quote, the, the virgin goddess of the hunt, and also the goddess of wild animals, all wild animals, and childbirth, interestingly. Does she play much of a part in the Iliad? No. Yeah. She's mentioned, but not not a prominent role. Okay. So we have Zeus, Apollo. Is there any other, are there any other gods that we can think of that would be important? Yeah, there's uh, Hephaestus. Okay, and he's, he's known as he's also uh, oftentimes referred to, referred to as Hephaestus, T-U-S, but the Greek is really T-O-S, um, and the Romans called him Vulcan, mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, it's interesting that uh, Star Trek picked up on that and had. Spock being a Vulcan from the planet Vulcan. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is interesting that that has survived. And so now it, it, it survived. And most people know Vulcan from that, not from the uh, Roman right. god, I think. Exactly. Uh, How does he fit into this story? Vulcan? Well, uh, he is uh, basically the god of uh, artisans. Uh, and he, he's he's usually described as a blacksmith, but he's more than that. Um, but he makes uh, metal objects like, uh, you know, uh, he makes the armor for Achilles when Achilles lost his armor during the uh, story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Achilles' mother 
Thetis goes to Mount Olympus and and uh, requests Hephaestus make fantastic armor for Achilles, and he does it. And Homer takes about five pages of the poem to describe the armor. You know, it's pretty spectacular. Uh, but he also makes you know uh, jewelry for the goddesses, and he makes uh, their palaces and stuff like that. So he's an all-around uh, artisan and architect. Right. And so the thing is, but he's also known as the god of fire, especially the Romans, metalworking, artisans. His attributes are appointed cappy wares, and he has a hammer, you know, and a forge, you know, uh, you know, for the blacksmith part, you know. And interestingly, the I believe the both the Greeks and the Romans believe that he held forth under Mount Etna on Sicily, the volcano there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that uh, Mount Etna is the most active volcano in in Europe. And in fact, just recently, last few weeks, it's been erupting. I've, I've seen that. Yeah. So we, so we've got the so that's our setup now. We've got these principal gods, these principal goddesses. Let's get into the story. Let's start with a chapter. How many chapters are there in the Iliad? There's 24 chapters um, that the original Greeks in the Library of Alexandria, they, Homer didn't divide them into chapters. I was going to ask, yeah, how did they, why and how? How did they divide it into chapters? Why did they divide they, it? Uh, the scholars at the ancient Library of Alexandria, um, you know, founded by Alexander the Great, you know, the, the city of Alexandria in Egypt, um, they, uh, I think they did it because they wanted to study the Iliad and Odyssey. So they wanted to refer to chapter and verse as it were, you mm-hmm. know, because these, um, these epics were like, uh, Bibles to the ancient Greeks. And this is where they first heard or saw in printing the names of the gods and learned their functions. Right. So, uh, because Virtually all 12 gods of Mount Olympus are mentioned in the epics um, and, and other minor goddesses as well. But uh, but the thing is, um, uh, you know, they're divided into 24 books called Rhapsodes, which is also the name, by the way, of what they call bards or these uh, guys like Homer that would recite these incredibly long poems. They call them bards or um I forget the other term, um, but anyhow, that's uh, where we get our word rhapsody. Yes, very yeah. good. Yeah, that comes from rhapsodes. Um, so we've got the twenty-four books. We're going to start with the first one, which book, is a chapter. First chapter, and I believe the twenty-four in my thesis is double the sacred number twelve. Right, because uh, as I mentioned before, uh, the. Um, Scholars at the Library of Alexandria divided the Odyssey also into 24 books. Uh, and uh, But uh, the Odyssey has 6,000 less lines of poetry than, than the Iliad. But it's still 24. So to me, that tells me that 24 is significant. They have to have 24 for some reason. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so it's divided into these chapters. And, uh, and each tells a part of the story. Uh, and the uh, Iliad is the, the story of the Trojan War, the most famous war of ancient times. And the Odyssey is the story 
uh, the return home of King Odysseus and his fantastic voyage home where he meets up with all these gods and monsters and so on until he finally gets home. So he spends 10 years at the War of Troy and, and, and then he finally invents the uh, Trojan horse to bring about the downfall of Troy, not by honorable means, but by a, a trick, a, you know, a sneaking attack, a stealth. I call it the world's first stealth uh, war engine. Uh, and then, uh, but he insults the gods. He's got a lot of ego and hubris. And so uh, Poseidon particularly has an end for him because Odysseus blinds his son, the giant one-eyed monster, the Cyclops. So anyhow, it's the story of his uh, 10 year long voyage home Altogether, he's away from home for 20 years. And we'll we'll deal with the Odyssey. We're going to go through the Iliad. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go through but, all but the Iliad. Iliad is the, the, the Iliad, in my opinion, is the greatest story of war ever written. And interestingly, it doesn't end with the glorious downfall of Troy like you might imagine, you know, with the Greeks marching triumphantly into the city. It ends on a tragic note. It ends because Achilles, the main uh, character of the Iliad, kills the son of the king and queen of Troy, and his name is Hector, and he's the chief defender of uh, Troy. They have a faithful duel before the main gate of Troy, and Achilles is the best warrior in the world, so he finally overcomes and kills Hector. And then he dishonors him by stripping him of his armor naked, ties him to his chariot and drags him around the walls of Troy in the dust, which is totally dishonorable for, because they, they had a code of conduct for warriors in, in Bronze Age Greece, that when you killed your opponent, you would allow your opponent's uh, people to take the body and perform the, the, the right burial treatment and uh, ceremonies and everything and bury it uh, you know, appropriately. Achilles didn't want to do that. And so the, uh, you know, the Iliad ends with, uh, you know, King Prime of Troy, and then these three women, again, three, uh, uh, you know, the Queen Hecuba, Andromache, the uh, wife of Hector, and Helen, you know, the, who went with Paris, and they're all mourning and give these mourning speeches of mourning uh, for Hector, and that's how the Iliad ends, on a very touching note. So you can view the Iliad from that sense as an anti-war epic. Right. Well, let's start, let's just, let's let's set it up for the listener. Let's just, with the time we have left, we don't have much time left, let's start with chapter one. So okay. tell us about it, give us the setup, and maybe just a, a summary of it, and we'll talk about it a little bit. Yeah, Um the summary I'm going to read you was uh, created. They had summaries of every chapter, and it's a translation of the Iliad that was done for Harvard University. Mm -hmm. And it was done by three scholars, Andrew Lang, Walter Leaf, and Ernest Myers. And they, they published it in 1883. Uh, and how I came across it is my parents bought me a beautiful uh National Geographic book on, uh, it's called Everyday Life in Ancient Times, and it's about Western civilization. And the whole book is these beautiful paintings of all these scenes uh, and, and 
Western civilization includes ancient Mesopotamia, what is now Iraq, Egypt, and then Greece and Rome. That's basically Western civilization. So what I say is that the Iliad is uh, the first book of Western European civilization. It's not the first book of uh, Western civilization because there's older works, you know, but, um, but the first book of Western European civilization. Right. Um, and so the Iliad uh, and the Odyssey, they're not linear stories, even though they're the oldest uh, books we have. Uh, they're not linear with, you know, beginning, middle, and end, like you might think. They begin in the middle, and they refer to the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. There's a and, term for that, correct? Yes, it's called in medias res. That's right. Let's just, can you say that again for the listener? The, the, in, in medias, with an S at the end, in medias res. Right, and that means starting in, in the middle, in yes, the middle of things. So that's good for you. So the uh, so the first notes and following that's good for you to keep in mind about just story structure. Sorry, go ahead, Gary. So uh, the uh, so the Iliad really begins uh, not at the beginning of the ten year long uh, Trojan War. It begins in the last year of the war, mm-hmm. the, the ninth year approaching the tenth. And, could I uh, could I read something for you, and uh, we'll see. We'll take it from that. Well, let me just give you a brief sure. little uh, uh, synopsis, and then yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to give the opening to the the piece. So go ahead. Yeah, we'll we'll do that. Um, sure. Now, uh, and it, book one is how Agamemnon, who is uh, the high king of the Greeks, the one that uh, got all the other kings of Greece, like uh, Odysseus. Uh, to join in to create this great army that had to sail to Troy in a thousand ships, uh, supposedly. So it's how Agamemnon and Achilles, the greatest uh, warrior, uh, fell out or had a, had a feud at the mm-hmm. siege of Troy. And because uh, Agamemnon insulted Achilles by taking away his love slave, Briseis, uh, Achilles withdraws from the battle, refuses to fight, and um, and uh, and he and he wins from Zeus a pledge that his his wrongs should be avenged on Agamemnon and 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 the uh, what Homer called the Greeks uh, or Achaeans. So that that is a synopsis of Book One. Okay, okay. So explain to me something about the beginning. So the, the book begins with this. Sing, O goddess, the anger of Achilles, son of Peleus, that brought countless ills upon upon the Achaeans. Many a brave soul did it send hurrying down to Hades, and many a hero did it yield a prey to dogs and vultures. For so were the counsels of Jove fulfilled from the day on which the son of Atreus, king of men, and great Achilles first fell out with one another." So that's the opening line. Those are the opening lines. What is what is that about? So you've set, give us the setting. You've told us what the first. Well, those was those opening lines. Um, and by the way, translation, the translation which translation did you read? Samuel Butler. Samuel Butler. Oh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty good one. Um, yeah. And uh, but anyhow, those opening lines are called the proem, mm-hmm. and so there's a proem to the Iliad you just read, and there's a proem to the Odyssey, and what they are. Basically, in the Iliad, there's seven lines, 
the sacred number seven. Mm-hmm. And in the Odyssey, there are 10 lines, and 10 is also a sacred number. That's why there's 10 years for Trojan War and 10 years for the Odyssey Voyage Home. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, the proems, and then it invokes uh, the goddesses, the muses. The muses were the goddesses of, of uh, creative inspiration, but it says muse in most of the translations, so I think right. it's probably referring to Cleo, the muse of history. And this Butler translation is a 19th century translation, so. Yeah. Okay. But I have the so, same so, thing. So he invokes the muse, right? Right. Homer does, I should say. And that's the two. Yes. For the listener, that, again, as you were saying, that's the inspiration, the voice for the poet or the painter or any creative person to call upon this muse to imbue him or her with the spirit to be able to create something noble, something great, something beautiful. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, invoking the gods of creative inspiration to inspire the work so that it will inspire others, which Mm -hmm. it it has for upwards of almost 3,000 years. So the anger of Achilles, son of Peleus, um, that brought countless ills upon upon the Achaeans, and that, the Achaeans being the Greeks, right? Yeah, that was Homer's term for the Greeks. So that gives you the setup that you had mentioned, that uh, there is this falling out and there's going to be this discord and he brought his anger. So I think that's what's interesting. The anger of Achilles brought countless souls. Yeah, that's that's what what it's about. That's what the Iliad is about, is the wrath of Achilles or his anger. Mm -hmm. And how it unfolds and causes all this discord because they're going off to fight. They need to be a unified group. And yet their greatest, because Achilles is their greatest warrior, correct? Yes. Yeah, He's greatest the greatest warrior. in the world, I mean, according to Homer. Uh, that's why he defeats Hector eventually. But I guess, um, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of like a, having a, a football team or a baseball team, and you have a great player. He's your star player. But he is, uh, he's got attitude issues, right? We all know about that. We talk about sports, right? Yeah, he's, a, he's an egomaniac. You know, yeah, he's a diva. He, they call it now in, in football, especially, they call it a diva. He's like a diva, um, but a great player. Well, like, he, like our recent Super Bowl, it had its hero, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, so we've got that, and that's our setting for the listener, if that gives you a sense of how to lock into it achilles is the great athlete the star player of the greek team and he is he's got an ego and he's troublesome and there you go so um okay so in this first chapter a lot of stuff gets set up we get to see you know who our main players are in the piece and uh what what would you leave the listener with about the opening chapter what would you let them what should they take away from that? Well, it sets up the uh, the story and it, uh, the, the wrath of Achilles. And, uh, and according to Homer, it doesn't matter how many thousands of men you might have on your side. If your hero doesn't fight, you don't win. You lose. Uh, and so Achilles refuses to fight uh, until his uh, greatest uh, friend and co-warrior, Patroclus uh, takes Achilles' armor to inspire the Greeks or the Achaeans, um, and he attacks uh, the Greeks, you know, led by Hector, is trying to burn the ships, and he manages to drive them back to uh, Troy, 
but then he has an encounter with Hector and Hector kills him, mm-hmm. thinking he killed Achilles. And uh, this is really shown pretty well in the movie Troy, you know, with Brad Pitt. Um, and uh, and so when uh, Achilles hears that his, his, his great friend and some say lover, you know, the Greeks were bisexual, whatever, um, that uh, that when he hears his his dear dear friend that he loved was killed by Hector, he's he's galvanized back into action by his rage, and he goes to seek out Hector and have their faithful duel. You know, it's interesting. I keep going back to sports as I'm thinking about this because it's sort of like you know you said Homer says if your your great warrior doesn't fight you won't win. It's kind of like again in American football, for those listening outside of the U.S., your quarterback is a really important position in the game. And if your quarterback doesn't play well, your team's not going to win. You need a great quarterback to win. Um, I think it's a good analogy. Like Tom Brady was phenomenal. Um, and uh, oldest player, I believe, in, in the NFL, and he still won the Super Bowl this year. Well, I should say it was not a good game. It was a – it was a, there was a problem, of course, with the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. So that was yeah, a, I, I heard they had a lot of injuries and stuff. A lot of injuries on that line. So, um, so okay, so that kind of gives you setting. I'd have to come up with some uh, analogy for people outside the U.S. in soccer or football, as it's called outside the U.S. World football, as I call it. Uh, but you, it's your star player, your star athlete. So let's let's end there because we've gone a little bit over. Let's okay. end there. We'll pick it up with chapter two next week of the okay. Iliad. So I want to thank Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary, for all your insights on this today. And thank this you. is the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax. I don't even know if I introduced myself earlier. This is Sean Marlon Newcomb, and it has been a pleasure to talk with you about this topic. We'll be back for more. Thank you, and take it care. It is a great interview, Sean. Really oh, well done. Thank you, Gary. Take care, everyone.